filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as ever by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United. And none of us are from Chicago. Ben, just bringing that pre-show discussion right in with no explanation. You got to love it. That's what he's here for, folks. Uh, Tonight, we are talking DC United. Nothing to do with Chicago or the greater Chicagoland region. Um, Tonight, we are uh, on this episode, we are taking a step back to talk about what maximum overdrive really means and how Hernan Losada has implemented his system and what his system even is. We're going to look at that tonight on a show later this week, second episode this week. We have an interview with DC United general manager and head of technical recruitment and analysis, Lucy Rushton, who uh, was kind enough to sit down with us. Uh, on the phone earlier today uh, and we had a great chat with her and we'll have that interview for you later in the week if you are a patreon patron of course you can get that episode right now as you're listening to this basically uh, at patreon.com slash filibuster just chip in five bucks a month and you will get that episode right into your ears Um, before we talk about anything else on this episode jason we have our traditions we must adhere to them what are you drinking all right, so you want me to stop making this map of the Chicagoland area as a joke <laughs> um, and speak? Um, yeah, it's it's been humid, um, as you all know. Uh, it's been too humid to live. Uh, and in yep. combating that, I have made one of the classic American summer drinks. I've made a Moscow Mule, classic Moscow Mule, with uh, this time with Tito's vodka. So te- I guess a Texas Mule, uh, if we <laughs> want to be that fair to them. I don't want to. It's a Moscow Mule. That's the name of the drink. I, I, I am also drinking a mule. I was going to make a Ricky, but uh, my wife had made uh, a, a dark and stormy earlier. So the Goslings was already out. Wow. And I was, you know, felt the need to finish that. So I yeah. uh, put some mezcal in the cup and uh, made a mezcal mule. Nice. So that's what I'm drinking. How about you, Ben? Are we going three for three on ginger beer and limes tonight? No, we're not. <laughs> I'm going anti uh, uh, the season. I'm drinking something that most people would, would more likely drink in cooler times. But a hot toddy. Tell me you're drinking a hot toddy. No, I'm not drinking a hot toddy. Um, it's my wife prefers uh, white wines and rosés, so I haven't had to have. I haven't been able to have a good uh, dry red wine for a while, so I. Got myself a bottle of Cab Sav, and I'm drinking some Cab Sav. All right. It sounds like you're enjoying it, so I'm happy. I am. I'm happy you're happy. Uh, guys, we have no DC United games to talk about this week. Nope. Uh, we could break down the, the U.S. men's national team and the, the Nations League final, but we're not going to do that. We could get a report from the farm where Loudoun United uh, just lost to the Charleston Battery uh, right before we recorded this. We're not doing that either. We could try to break down the closed-door friendly. DC United's going to play against the Red Bulls this week, apparently. So Steve Goff reports. But no, we... Uh, Didn't we break down enough closed-door friendlies this year? We did. We're not doing that. We're not putting that on, on ourselves. Yeah, enough. We're not viewing this 20-day international break as a burden to find content we don't like we're we've got great content we got lucy rushton later this week no this is an opportunity to take a step back and really try to dig into Hernan losada's system how he's implementing it that's what we're doing tonight um we'll, we'll start off where i think losada started off which 
may actually be surprising to to some of us after the quotes he gave when he was hired uh, that led to things like us obsessing about maximum overdrive. Um, But the starting point really appears to be in the defense, Uh, even if that's quite different than what we were used to under Ben Olsen. Jason, Losada seems to start with defense. Yeah, it was a a pretty straightforward, um, at least from from his view, I think, um, a pretty straightforward approach to how to get the team to start to have good results, uh, or or be- maybe maybe I shouldn't say good results because he was also upfront about saying he didn't expect the results to be particularly great early on, um, but to give the team a chance at getting some results early in the season while they were taking on all these concepts and also just getting into the level of fitness that uh, that his system requires. Um, and, and that started with making sure the defensive principles were sound so that the team, no matter what they were failing at, they had to be good at ba- the basic concepts of how they want to defend without the ball, how to press effectively so you're disrupting your opponent so that they can't attack well, um, and then go from there. Um, it was a real, really, uh, it seemed like from afar we – haven't been able to go to training yet this year. Hopefully things are starting to change where that might start to become a thing. Uh, the spirit have had a couple open training sessions, so hopefully DC gets there. Um, but one thing that we can say is that there's been a real emphasis on just how do we disrupt the other team to keep them from doing uh, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because on one hand, it's very DC focused. How do we go about stopping them um, how do we implement what we want to do and make our style of play the terms that this t- game is played on? Um, and to their credit, even the games where it didn't, you know, the result didn't go well or the performance wasn't that good, they still managed to mostly keep the other teams from getting to do what they want um, and made these games at least uh, in part about what DC wants to do. And so the the the, the defensive underpinnings have been, I think, you know, kind of rewarded that approach uh, going to that first rather than trying to get the offensive side down uh, before the players are really able to keep themselves in a game. It turned out to be pretty important. Um, it wasn't necessarily what we thought uh, when we first talked about Losada. We thought we were going to be jumping into the deep end as far as uh, uh, these games being completely wide open goes. But, you know, and, and we've talked about this since then on the show that you know, if we had looked a little closer, we would have noticed this pattern of like the first thing first with Lozada is making sure your team is getting the results they need, uh, getting that foundation of the the defensive concepts in before you then ramp things up on the attacking side and start to become a team that has these crazy 5-4 games. You hear about it with national teams, how the attack is always the hardest thing and the last thing to to come around. So it makes sense. When you take over a new team, especially when you're doing it right before preseason starts, um, it makes sense to start with the defense. And these are different defensive concepts than the team was used to um, with the the front foot high press kind of almost all the time. And now they've kind of dialed it back a little bit to something more controlled and sustainable for their current fitness level. But you can tell like they want to press the most. And this was something that um, Joe Lowry actually wrote for MLSsoccer.com. DC United has the third most team pressing actions where Mm -hmm. multiple players are stepping forward to press in the other team's half. Uh, The third most in all of MLS behind, I think, the Red Bulls and Sporting KC, who are the standard pressing teams for the last decade in Major League Soccer. So to be up there with them, it's like that is what he wants to do, and we're seeing it. Go ahead. Well, and I'd be, I would, uh, I'm going to love to see what this team does once Steven Birnbaum is back because he is a uh, mobile and aggressive center back. He's uh, been a captain of this team and it'll be great to see him back on the field with uh, Brendan Hines-Zyke, with uh, Donovan Pines, with Tony Alfaro. It's like there's a lot of options that the the team then has when Stephen Birnbaum is back and uh, getting this team clicking on all cylinders is just going to be uh, the best option for everybody going forward. And I know that Birnbaum's going to uh, contribute a lot, but uh, – 
you think he's the center center back, but who knows what's going to happen and who knows what options that uh, puts out there for everybody else. But I'm just excited to see what happens with that going forward. Well, yeah, to, that to build off to, of well, to build off of what Ben's saying and, and you know, this, this stat that, that Adam, you already cited. Um, we should also remember that like, DC hasn't been able to actually press at full vigor yet because they're missing some of their better players. Uh, Bill Hamid's only just played the one game. Uh, Burnbaum hasn't played yet. This break might be what they were hoping to to finish up getting him back uh, into play. It would be maybe a little early for him to come back for the Miami game, but we're getting close to where he's going to start appearing in games now. Um, Donovan Pines has only been available for, I think it's two games is, is that he's played. Um, so DC hasn't been able to, and also the fitness side for just the players that have been available, they've also had to, uh, Lozada has said there's been games where they haven't been able to press for as long of the match because they don't have the legs. And so he's he's admitted after games that he's like, look, there have been games where we didn't have the energy to do that. So we had to change the way we play, but we don't want to do that. Um, this was a necessity. Um, and I think it was after the last home game that... Uh, that he said, like, this is how we want to play. We want, or maybe it was the Orlando game where it was, you know, we want to press the other team for the whole game, not for 15 minutes and then have to take a few minutes off. Um, and that he's had to make that adjustment out of out of necessity. And so when the team gets more skilled, they get better players, they get some faster players with Pines and Birnbaum uh, compared to uh, Briant and Alfaro. I think Pines is faster than Alfaro. I think Birnbaum is faster than Briant. Um, all of a sudden, that adds an element. You add more, more, more speed, fitter players, more understanding, and now you can start to see this team press more. So the fact that they're already top three in that category kind of says where this is going. They, they've done that with you know sixty to seventy-five percent of their real ability uh, showing. So we don't even we we haven't even seen the whole picture yet. Is the thing with with that <laughs> side of the game? The pressing could get even crazier. Is what you're yeah. saying which I'm, I'm here for it because the, it, the overdrive could get even more maximum maximum or overdrive. <laughs> um, I, I would love to see it. Um, I think we saw some questions a, a little bit earlier in the year about results versus process. And Jason, I know you, we, we've already discussed tonight about how defense is the starting point when you want to get results while you're, you're building. But I think, you know, the team is currently outside the playoff picture, but they, they got a big win going into the international break. It's a long season. It's 20% over. And they're, they're very much in contention at this point. They're mm -hmm. not falling behind the pack because uh, the Eastern Conference, except for like New England, is just one big pack. <laughs> um, but we've seen the process improve week over week almost every game this season. It's not always going to be linear, but we, we've seen it and the results are starting to come. I've been really impressed with Losada's ability to manage that results versus process dynamic uh, so far this year, especially on the, the defensive side where Jason, as you said, he's, he's been dogmatic, but not to the point where he refuses to um, make adjustments. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, it is a slow build and certainly the, some of the results have been frustrating. Uh, but I think Losada knew that he was uh, taking in a group, the group, the existing group uh, had gone through a lot uh, last year. It was very bad. A lot of guys were in a low level of confidence. Um, and a lot of the other guys were new and some of the players playing were not just new starters, but were also guys that had been let go or pushed aside somewhere. Um, someone like Adrian Perez or uh, Andy Nahar, those were guys that their their time at LAFC didn't end with uh, them going out on their own terms. It was LAFC being like, we don't we don't need you around. Um, so a lot of players had to be, I think, built up. And I also think Losada very quickly got a read for the fan base and knowing that the fan base wanted things to be better right away. Uh, there would be absolutely no patience unless he got, did something to earn that patience. Um, and I think he pretty astutely managed that by, you know, explaining to people that this is a massive process. It's not, 
him saying, okay, I know last year we sat low and didn't attack very much, but now you should attack. And that would fix the whole thing. Um, So I think it was smart the way he managed it. But I also think the biggest thing was getting the buy-in from the players that they can play the way that they've played. Um, Because even, even with the losses, these haven't been um, for the most part, not every loss has been like this, but like, the losses against NYC or not NYCFC Orlando and um, uh, what was the second home game at Philly? Philly. Yeah. Philly. Um, those were games where even, even the most, you know, even a fan with not a, a whole lot of knowledge on systems or anything like that, they could still see that like one DC worked harder than the other team. They had more of the ball. They did more of the attacking. Um, and so people felt like they're, they weren't being sold a bill of goods. The thing that they told they were going to, they were told they were going to get, they got, uh, and the results don't necessarily come with that. But if you tell people that what you are going to demand out of a team is they're going to have to work incredibly hard and they're going to have to be, uh, attack minded and aggressive, you have to do that. Uh, and Losada's teams have done that. It hasn't always worked, but that side of things of that sort of guarantee that's been fulfilled. And I think that has helped, manage the expectations at this point in this build towards a, a a better team down the road. Well, and I feel like in a normal MLS season, we are further along when we get to, to mid June, I feel like because of COVID and delays and such, I feel like it's like we're at the same point of the calendar, but not as many games have been played as in a typical MLS season like I feel like in June we're like at a at like a third closing in on half of the season but this time we're we're at like a quarter at most and so I like things are still early and coalescing and it's going to be a brutal uh rush to the end of the uh, end of the season uh and it's going to require everyone being healthy and probably all the teams in the league are going to have to call up players from their USL uh, affiliates to uh, make things work, but it's, it's still early days. So I'm, I'm, I know, I know I'm a a starry eyed optimist often on this uh, podcast, but I'm still uh, optimistic about what we've been seeing so far and, and trusting the process to borrow a phrase from, uh, Philadelphia, and uh, I think I think things things are going in a positive direction for this team. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the deluge of games that's waiting for them. You look at the especially the run in uh, the last several weeks of the season in, in the fall, and it's it's going to be brutal. Um, and so I'm I like I, weirdly I like Losada's approach of holding players out until they are hundred percent ready to go so that they don't get those little niggling setbacks that that Mm -hmm. put them down for another couple of weeks. And then they get another one and they're down for another week and they're eventually maybe get all the way back. He wants them all the way back before they start training all out. And I'm, I, I get that uh, with the, the history of injuries in in this team, in this league uh, doing that. So I, I like the long view like like you're taking Ben. Uh we talked about the defense. The point of that front foot defense is to create transition opportunities, at least in my understanding of soccer and Losada's approach. Um and so we we saw that really start to work against Miami. Uh Jason, where are you on on the transition attack at this point? Uh I think that's still a little bit of a work in progress. There's still moments where um the, it's not so much that players aren't looking for the right pass is that the the pass isn't there. Um, and maybe sometimes the team wants to, wants to try and push things that aren't necessarily on um, a little too often. Um, and some of it too, is that up until very recently, um, they haven't maybe had the best players for transition play out wide. Um, having Kevin Paredes back on the left side, really changes that uh, you know Joseph Mora has Absolutely. done all right as a wingback but Paredes opens up the attacking side of things quite a bit more um you know Julian Gressel I think we're starting the, I think you know I think we cited this after the Miami game that Pablo 
uh, Maurer tweeted out, Julian Gressel starting to look like Julian Gressel. Um, and that was really promising, but it took a while um, because there were still some things that, you know, he had to adjust in his game uh, coming from last year. Uh, and also it's not the same setup as with Tata Martino. So he can't say like, oh, I remember doing this. It's the fun. It's broadly similar, but it's not the same. And so there's still these finer points that were not quite there. Um, but yeah, getting more out of the wide players, getting um, getting Ariola involved has made a, a pretty big difference. Um, not Not really a big surprise that once he came back, the attack started to look a little better. Um, even, even when Edison Flores got hurt, the attack continued to rise, um, in part because Ariola's availability because of how, how well he fits this style of play. Um, but yeah, there are definitely some, some moments where those moves don't go according to plan because, you know, someone's not looking for the right run and you can tell not just from, you know, you watch, if you, if you watched Losada and didn't watch the ball, you could still tell whether there were the correct read was made or the correct run was being made or offered because he's vis- viscerally reacting uh, to every single one. And so when he sees the window g- appear as he wanted it to, because a lot of this thing, um, as he referred to the, the automatic stuff, the automatics, yep. right. Um, he knows what that looks like. And when it's going to, when, when the window is about to open, he knows where it's going to be and why it's happening. And so when he sees a step in that process, not being done he knows that the whole thing is not is not going to work um and so the whole move has to at best becomes you know bogged down or you have to hit reset and go to the back um and that has happened some of the time uh there have been games where dc's had a lot of the ball but not that many chances if you think about the orlando game yep um they pinned orlando back for so long but they didn't actually create very many shots uh, pedro gaese didn't have a lot to do in that game um, as much as DC did a lot of things that we liked that the coaching staff liked, they had a lot to be proud of that part of the game was still missing that ability to, to pick the lock. Um, and that is going to be an aspect of this where if a team, you know, we're talking about transition offense, but like when the team says, we don't even want to deal with transition offense, we're going to sit so deep that there is no transition offense. What does DC do in those situations? Because as I said, after that Orlando game, I keep bringing it up because if you're a team in in the East that doesn't think you can come to Audi Field and play your style of soccer and win the game, what is, what is your next what is your next plan? Do you say uh, screw it, we're going to lose the game? No. What you're going to do is say, well, who else went there and changed themselves dramatically and got something out of it? And you're going to look at that Orlando game pretty hard because Orlando said, "Fine, we can't keep the ball today. So be it. Uh, here comes our fifth defender." Everyone's going to sit within 30 yards of goal and you're going to have to solve that. And DC wasn't, they were close at times, but they weren't quite able to solve it in part because they want the other team to sort of step out to have room to run in behind. And if that doesn't happen, I don't know what the next step is other than, you know, because you look at the roster and you say, there aren't that many guys that are a specialist in that kind of a game either. This isn't really a, a team that's designed to pin teams back for long periods and break their way through slowly. This is a team that wants the wants the track meet. Um, and if the track meet, if the other team says no, no track meet today, that's what worries me. I'm not so much worried about the transition offense, which has been making decent progress, not linear, but you know, kind of linear. I am more worried about when the other team just says, No, we're not gonna engage in this. Then what do you do? Right. When the other team says, What would Ben Olsen do? Uh, to a certain extent, yeah. Um and, I don't and know the that- answer. The answer there is what would Ben Olsen do? He would sit deep, clog up the middle, force right. you to send in crosses. And that's kind of what we saw against Orlando. Right. And, and something that Losada has said, he's like, we're not really, I mean, Julian Gressel sending in crosses is very good, but we're not the kind of team that sends in crosses in the air. Uh, right. There is no forward on the team that's going to go up and turn those into goals very often. The the headed goals from forwards are going to be, you know, Ola Kamara drifts off his man to the back post and is wide open when he heads the ball and not, Ola Kamara goes up against two center backs and wins the ball anyway. That isn't a player that DC has. Right. So st- staying on the possession style in attack right now, it's I'm not totally clear what the the strategy or what the, the tactic is there. I'm not sure what the what the idea that they want to build around is because the the focus right now has been the press and the shape 
and the transition attack. So I don't think the possession attack has been as well developed yet, which which makes sense because transition opportunities tend to be higher value, um, especially for a team at this stage in development. Um, I think what I know about the possession style is that they want to build on the wings, create overloads, and then create from those. Um, It's okay that at this point, we don't know what the next idea is, what they're going to build around. Not every team is going to be as singularly focused on doing one thing as like man city is at getting into the half spaces and finding people from there. Like that's all they do. And it works because they're man city and they have the best players in the world. Uh, Except when they play Chelsea, then it doesn't work, I guess, but it's okay that we don't know what Losada wants to do there because it's, it's eight games in to his coaching tenure. We <laughs> we're not. Well, yeah, and I mean, we had assumptions about what he was going to do coming in, but like, if his systems work, if his system works, I don't care about possession necessarily. It doesn't need to be a possession heavy right. system. I agree. If his if his if his system works, then it works. And if it's a more counterattacking style, if it's a more uh, 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 press and then, and break style, then that's fine. It, it, like we're, we're still evolving and and figuring out. Like, and I think. Uh, Ernan Losada is too, and the players are as well. We're all still trying to figure out like what is the best system for uh, the current players that he has, and where is he trying to go? And so, I don't think we know what his end game is yet, and I think that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I think ultimately the the big idea from the possession system will be to create little transition moments where you do create a a scrambling defense in one part of the field and make it cascade from there. It's not going to be a slow build, use the ball to unsettle the defense like the crew or, or Greg Berhalter with the national team wants to do. It's going to be move the ball up the field or across the field quickly, not necessarily big switches, but on the ground, move the ball quickly to try to, to find an isolation or uh, a hole. Um, But it's not going to be build through the center of the park. I, I think at any point and when you're only playing two central midfielders, that's, that's how it's going to be. Um, going back to the transition attack. I think we've, we've seen a big difference uh, between week one where every single moment was kick the ball forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time they got the ball, they tried to kick the ball forward and then just tackle it and kick the ball forward, tackle it and kick the ball forward. It was really uh, Matt Doyle called it demolition derby. And we've seen a, a real progression since then on the soccer side, as a lot of coaches like to say. Um, but I wonder whether once the automatics are in place, we see kind of a higher level of that NYC game where the players tackle the ball and they know where what the first pass is. That guy knows what his next pass is. And it it, it looks it, it it kind of still boils down to get the ball and kick the ball forward. It's just get the ball, kick the ball to the right guy and get the ball up the field as quickly as possible. And that's the verticality that we've heard Losada mentioned so many times. I wonder whether that's where they're going. It's the difference between kick the ball forward and pass the ball forward. Yes, Um, absolutely. Yeah, the NYCFC game, it was like, look, as as they said, risk avoidance, that was a lot of risk avoidance. Um, But as these passing patterns, these patterns of play start to become more established as the team gets a better handle on a variety of them rather than one or two. Not only are they going to get better at it, but like we're going to start to be able to recognize them in advance. We're going to see, oh, I understand that when, you know, Kanaus gets the ball in this space facing forward, that the run he's going to get from uh, Ola Kamara is this. And the run that Adrian Perez is making is maybe he's going to flare out wide real quick in this moment, but in another moment, maybe if, uh, Moreno gets the ball five yards deeper. Maybe Perez doesn't make that run out wide. Maybe his run is his stays in the middle. Um, but yeah, it's going to take, um, you know, part of it is just the repetitions. They had to spend a lot of time focusing on fitness and defending um, that they didn't have as much time for this stuff. And it was also one of those things where uh, if Ariola is not available, if he's not around and you know, he's going to be an essential part of your attack. Um, is it even a worthwhile investment of that time uh, to focus on these things, knowing that he's going to come in and change the dynamic? Um, so 
they kind of, in a way, it was very good that the absences, the injuries and all that piled up at a time where they were much more focused on defending first, because a lot of that stuff can be conceptual and video and that kind of thing. Whereas the attacking side is really much more feel. Um, And I'm sure there is a huge element of video and a huge element of diagrams and things like that. But there is a certain feel in games where you have to know, okay, the ball's roughly in this scenario. The other team is roughly set up like this. This means I have to do X, Y, and Z. Where it's not, it's it's rehearsed, but it's not set in stone. Um, you know, we we shouldn't think of these things as like a like a combo in a fighting game or something. Um, there is a, a a level of fluidity to it where the players have to collectively read the situation and agree. Um, which is why soccer is hard. It turns out. Um, because this is a very difficult thing to get in place. Uh, but they, they are getting closer to that. Uh, part of it, you know, the Miami game certainly looms large, but part of that is that Miami was bad, uh, as we've, as we've talked about coming into that game and then after that game. Um, but it was nice to see some of the product, you know, is in a way it was a treat to get to see a team come out and play badly against DC, which is I think the first time that happened all year where a team was just bad for 90 minutes against DC. Uh, and that allowed DC to kind of show some of the things they've been working on. It was, it was kind of an open mic to be like, here's what we've got in store. Uh, you know, this thing is like 75% done, but you know, here's what we're working on. Here's what we're going towards. Um, and Miami was simply not, able to do anything about that which uh was nice Uh, i kind of hope we get one more of those uh when the season restarts um and then after that the challenge will get real again um but it'll be nice to sort of get this sort of a a soft opening almost uh uh i don't i don't want to seem too overconfident about that game because that's definitely going to bite us in the ass but um but it's phil neville i i do like the idea of miami being the the friendly audience you use to workshop the material for your netflix special sure um and you know and sometimes that that friendly audience is going to be cold and you're not gonna get the the result you want but hopefully they do obviously next in the next game on june 19th um ben you talked earlier about how you're feeling generally optimistic going forward jason where are you on the the prospects for this team? We know against Miami, we we want and expect a good result as they build sure. towards something. Do you think they're going to get there this year? Uh, I mean, do I think they can make the playoffs uh, or sh- or will make the playoffs? I guess I should switch the uh, the qualifier there because can of course they can, uh, but will I, I I am feeling optimistic about it right now. Um, some of that is that I think DC is going to continue to improve because they're getting better players back. They're getting understanding that other teams, other teams aren't going to get that sort of a bump um, that they're not settling into a new system and learning how to make it work. Um, a lot of these teams, it's already established what they're going to do. Philly, Orlando, NYCFC, Columbus, Nashville. It's all pretty established what they are trying to do. These are teams, the revs, even though they're, they're kind of far out in front. Um, they're not going to get the bump of, okay, now we're going from like 80% understanding to 90% to 100%. So those gains aren't going to be there for them, whereas they should be there for DC as long as they keep uh, applying themselves and keep the buy-in and keep on the trajectory that they've shown us so far. Um, So no, I, I do like where the team is going. I also, you know, they will need to make, you know, Ben's brought this up, I think on four or five shows, the the moves that they will need to make uh, under new leadership uh, for yep. this system, because a lot of the guys that are here uh, that that are new were either uh, what was available, um, and that's not a disrespect to them, but there was just no time to really do deep dive research on these new players that might have cost a lot of money. Nigel Roberta is the one exception. Speaking of which, another reason DC might get a little better is that he has barely been able to play. So once he's back healthy that adds to the the depth up front it cha- it changes the dynamic again up front um so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of extra room dc's not up against their ceiling i feel like um and that's a very good place to be when you know yes they are outside of the playoff picture right now but it's by two points um 
And I, I think we can all agree that it's probably a little unlucky that they are those two points out. They probably should have picked up two or three more points along the way here. Um, so if they've got room to grow and they're here at this point in the season, that's a pretty good spot. It, it feels, it also feels like the East is going to be not that difficult. Um, so it's kind of a forgiving conference to be on the growth path rather than, okay, we're, we're so close. We're just refining the last little bit. Um, DC isn't that close yet. So that extra room to get better, uh, as the summer goes on, I think is going to be huge. And so when all these teams run into that brick wall in the the schedule of the, like, Hey, guess what? There's two months in the season left and you have 15 games to play, um, or whatever nonsense uh, is built into the schedule. Um, I would much rather be the team that is on the up heading into that rather than the team that is sort of like kind of plateaued, kind of flatlined and heads into that. Like, oh man, we got to, we have to get better like now. And we haven't been getting better in like a month and a half. Um, And it feels like DC won't be that team. It feels like they are a team on the rise. Um, And, and, you know, we do have to, you know, couch that with, there are things I wonder about Um, this, this, the ability for teams to come to Audi field and sit deep uh, concerns me because when I look at the roster, I think, I don't know if this is, I don't know if that's a problem that can be solved system wise. Um, That is a player personnel problem. I feel like, Um, especially if, if Flores struggles with his injury, uh, if Jordi Reyna can't uh, show, he's only played the one game, but if he can show a little creativity that adds something that isn't really there, that would be helpful. Um, but it is it is a potential problem for DC that uh, they might not quite have the creativity in in the group, and they might need to be the kind of team that creates through their press first, second, and third, rather than maybe just first and second. Um, which is something that has befallen some other pretty notable high pressing teams. There's a reason Kansas City got away from being 100% high pressing and starting to add creativity yeah. to the element. Um, there's a reason why the Red Bulls have fallen short. Uh, in different ways, but it, it, it always seems to come back to the fact that at a certain point, either they don't have the creators to do something when the press isn't the, the best creator, or they soften their press enough so they lose their teeth and then they can't figure teams out that way. So um, right. it's a in, problem in that's Atlanta, come up. When, when Atlanta won the cup, it was mm-hmm. because they, they'd played this pressing system all year and they dropped it for the playoffs. Um to, to get through. So having a plan B is always really important, but um, Ben, do you want to add on to that before I start to ramble? No, ramble away. All right. Ramble. I, I will. Um, I'm, I'm of the same mind as Jason. I think this team is going to be better at the end of the year than they were at the beginning. Uh, I think they're better now than they were at the beginning of the year. And I think they'll continue to get better in the Eastern conference, like Jason was saying that there's four teams. I think the top four teams all pretty much belong there, new England, Philly, Orlando, and NYC. And below that, it's really a jumbled mess. And like NYC FC in fourth is tied with Montreal and Columbus and Nashville uh, going down to seventh. I think NYC is probably a better team than, than the rest of those at this point. But um, DC United is really, is only two points behind the fourth place team right now. And that, that is not a huge gap to make up uh, with, with this many games to go. And I think we've already seen really good coaches like Oscar Pereja adjust his approach and come in with a, a game plan customized for, for DC United. We've seen less good coaches try that too with, with Phil Neville, but the fact that teams are recognizing that DC United is able to disrupt their attack to the degree that, that they are. And DC United's one of the best teams in the league at um, expected goals allowed at this point mm-hmm. in the season, um, which is not what I expected at all. Even looking at Losada's pattern uh, where at Bearscoat, he did start with the defense and they had a pretty locked down defense. I didn't expect it to this degree. And I think that's something they can, probably maintain as they they move forward it's going to take a while for teams to figure out how to beat that press especially if losada isn't just running the same press out he said every game plan is 70 percent his principles and what the team is about and 30 percent customizing that for the opponent and that doesn't mean the level of customization that oscar pareja made for 
for DC United, where he had a plan where if they went up a goal and Julian Gressel came into the game, they were going to drop into a back five and just make DC United send in crosses um, with the defense set, which is, as we've talked about many times on this show, that's a pretty solid defensive strategy in, in MLS, especially if you're already up a goal is just make the team send in crosses and eat them up. Um, and so not every team is going to be able to do that against DC United and not every team is as well drilled as an Oscar Pereja team. He's a fantastic coach. Uh, one of, you know, one of the best in the league. So losing one, nothing to, to him, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. And I think, I think the team is going to continue to get better in, in, you know, the attacking phases, transition and, and possession as they learn the automatics and they figure out where the spaces are to create and, and how to take advantage of, of overloads because we've seen them blow some overloads too Mm -hmm. so far this year. And also the finishing hasn't been great for DC United and they're still in this, in this better than expected position. So if you combine the finishing boots with a, a lucky break or just not having a fabulously unlucky break with an own goal or three mm-hmm. in the first few games of the year, um, you know, you, you put that out over the course of the season. This is a definitely a playoff team. Right. Uh, I mean, you, well, you, at least as far as quality. You, you just mentioned the the expected goals uh, against thing. And um, that is generally a very good sign. I mean, you every once in a while you run into someone who is doing like Gotham FC and is just completely making a mockery of the idea of doing math. <laughs> um, but most of the time, if you're a team that just doesn't give away scoring chances, the results will tend to go your way. Um, you will tend to pick up wins because the other team simply didn't get a chance to score any goals on you. Um, and yes, DC has had a couple games, the Columbus game in particular, um, where you think of how they lost that game and you say, how did the, how did, you know, how often are you going to give away virtually no chances and give up three goals? Um, and the answer is not re- you're not even really going to give up uh, one in a game like that most of the time. Uh, most other teams don't have Lucas Celerion trying to set the, the league record for direct kick goals in a season. And how often do you give up two own goals in a game? It turns out like it's like a once a decade kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm not DC, right no. <laughs> D- DC got rid of maybe some of their accursed luck. Uh, in a big way in a couple of these games this year. Um, but yeah, the, the as far as the data can can tell us where they're trending, they're trending in a good direction. Um, they're doing a lot of the things they need to do to ha- put themselves in great positions to win games. It's just, as you said, Adam, the finishing, um, especially pre-Kamara, you know, Kamara came back and uh, got these two goals against Miami. Maybe that's a sign. He, he on paper, is the best finisher on the team. Um, if he can actually back that up with actual finishing, um, then DC's on to something. We also, we haven't really seen what Nigel or Bertha can do in front of goal because the games he did come in, it was like 15 minutes of hard running and not many chances for him. But these were those early games where the attacking side wasn't really being thought about too much. It was just like, there was no Paul Areola. If if you can run for 15 minutes, I'm going to send you in for 15 minutes to run. Um, and that is what one of those games was against new England when they had the lead on their worst turf in the league. So I'm like, there's plenty of extenuating circumstances for those cameos that, that Roberta had. I I think when he comes back healthy, if if are you saying I can get a cameo of Nigel Roberta? uh, Not that kind of cameo, lowercase C cameo. Um, but I think you when might he be comes back healthy, yeah, sure. actually, you might. I don't know. He might be on Camille. <laughs> I know these United gonna, players are. I yeah, think Felipe's on there. Gressel's on there. Yeah. I think um, is on there. Give it some he's time. Maybe, so he has to be on in, there. Check in a couple weeks if you can get a cameo from Nigel Bertha. Yeah. And since I, since I mentioned Russell Knauss, I uh, want to shout him out and say congrats to him and his wife. They are expecting a child, their first in December. He announced on Twitter just today as we record. So congrats to the Knauss family. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm feeling optimistic about this team. I, I, I still think however well this year goes, next year will be better. But um, I'm, yeah, I I agree. I, mm-hmm. There won't be a supporter shield in the cards this year. But may, if this team continues to put the pieces together, they might make some noise in the playoffs. And that would be a lot of fun. Because, um, you know, no one's going to want to play a team after the the – hellish run-in that every team in MLS is facing. No one's going to want to face 
a, a fit pressing team. And if DC United can be healthy at the right time and and put the pieces together, it could be it could be a fun little little fall this year. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what I'm hoping for is to make noise there. Yeah, when you know, I think the Lozada gave that speech uh, that the team put out, and one of the lines was, "We're going to be a pain in the ass to play." Um, and in the playoffs, especially, it seems like they're going to be the kind of team that maybe they get sixth or seventh, but everyone's going to be like, you know, the, the teams t- towards the top are going to be like, oh, please let us finish. Like whatever we have to do to not finish against DC right. and we can go play, uh, you know, I don't know, Nashville instead. Um, I think it's basically like not wanting to face uh, a Peter Vermees team. I feel right. like it's the same vibe. Or the or the, if you guys remember to to bring it closer to home for us, um, a few years ago DC finished uh, as the higher seed above the Red Bulls and were matched against each other. And the consensus opinion was like, well, the Red Bulls are going to advance in that series. They're the the playoff nightmare for everyone in the East. No one wants to play the Red Bulls. Blah 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 blah. DC could be that team this time where they end up going in into the playoffs and match up against another team. And people are going to be like, I actually think DC, the lower seed might have a chance here though. The structure is going to be different uh, and perhaps less favorable for that kind of upset because you won't have two legs. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, um, th- this is a team that doesn't seem to be that vulnerable to the home versus away dynamic uh, in part because Losada refuses to allow them to be. Um, he keeps insisting that we're going to play the same home and away against anyone. Um, but he backs that up and that kind of repeatedly backing that up over the year can pay off in a one-off game where you have to go on the road, uh, in a big way. That's the kind of way where the, your players now know, you know, they have a whole year of evidence that yes, we're going to go to this one and done. If we, if we go away and we don't win the game, our season's over and we're still going to play it the same way. We're not going to change who we are. and it's it's a lot different from the uh, luxury player Branko Boscovich starts at home, uh, 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 subs in on the road mm-hmm. uh, style from a number of years ago. Like Losada is sticking to his system and uh, figuring out who works best in that system as people get healthy. But he is sticking to his system and and not allowing himself to. Uh, be dictated by the oppo- uh, uh, the opposition team what he's going to do. He's adapting to it, but he's not getting dictated to. And it's 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 it, it's nice to see. It's 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 a more proactive front foot approach uh, to the team in every way. Uh, and I think it's really interesting. There are a lot of contrasts with Ben Olson. That's one of them. Ben Olson often would al- almost entirely, it seemed, base his game plan around the opponent. Uh, he was uh, much less proactive uh, as far as the team with the ball and, and you know, a million other things. But there there are some similarities with Hernan Losada. I mentioned the the defense first approach, even if it's a very different defensive approach, it's still defense first. Uh, the other one is that Losada seems to have a, an ability similar to Ben Olsen to get guys running through walls for mm-hmm. him. Um, like we, we heard John Kempen say he, this team would die for, for Losada yeah. at this point, eight games in. And they're really like, that is their level of buy-in. And we we've seen that with good Ben Olsen teams over the years is um, like, we, we've heard the oral history on the 2012 playoffs at Red Bull arena. And like Ben Olsen had those guys so fired up. They were ready to like, you know, it, they were ready to rip out the goalposts and throw them into the Hudson. I think uh, if it came to that, um, they like, and, and Losada seems to have them revved at that level, just on a regular basis, which is super fun for us. Um, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully it's something that it seemed like he maintained it at, at Bearscoat. So hopefully it's something yeah. he can maintain which, for all of his three years. And if it goes longer than that, even better. Cause that is a, a very important factor here. Like if he, if he loses the buy-in to a certain extent, th- this whole way of playing doesn't work. Um, yeah. right. This is this is a system that requires 100% buy-in at all times. Um, and if it starts to wear thin, um, if the summer months are unseasonably hot and it's just draining on the players and they just they want to buy in, but they they just literally don't have the energy to do it correctly. Um, these are some some potential obstacles down the road. It, right now, I don't think there's any 
I'm not worried about the team losing that buy-in anytime soon. Um, but, you know, buy-in is one of those fickle things where if the coach says one wrong thing or makes one move that just hit, that, you know, goes against the things he's been saying all along, um, you can kind of, you can kind of hurt it really quickly. Uh, it's like credibility or, or uh, dignity. Uh, you can, you can undermine it with one little moment and all of a sudden you're, you're kind of behind the eight ball. And um, so we don't, you know, we don't have a big track record because it's not like Losada left uh, Bearscope because things are going badly. So we don't, we don't have any sort of track record as to like, here's why he left these other clubs. And, and this is an issue he ran into. He got hired. It was the the issue he ran into at Bears. Got they were on a little bit of a down spell when he got hired. Sure, but they weren't like, let's get rid of the coach. Um, right. There was no question about that. So, um, or at least as far as I know, this is not a... I mean, a they hired Belgian... his first assistant to finish out the year. That's true. So, um, he, so he yeah. did not keep the job permanently. We found out, again, today, news, yes. news is breaking before we record, which is a nice change for, <laughs> for us. Um, but Bearscoat decided not decided to move on from... Uh, I, I forget his name. Uh, you forgot Will Still? Will Still. <laughs> yes. right. you know. The wonderfully named Will Still. Uh, who, who looks every bit as ginger as you think he would with, with a name like Will Still. Um, but he, he's not going to keep that job permanently. But you're right. We don't know what Losada does if something goes wrong and he has to try to regain the, the trust and the buy-in. Um, but like you guys have said, he's walking the walk. He's... Mm-hmm making the choices that back up his words every time it seems like. So hopefully um, the, the player's commitment or, or at least their impression of his commitment is never in question because um, like you said, this is, this is a little bit of a high wire act at this style of play and you got to believe in it a hundred percent for it to work. Um, but the team, the team seems to be doing it. And so I'm optimistic about the the rest of this season and the season or two after that. And, We'll see where things go. I think that's it from us tonight here at Filibuster. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Um, and if you're interested in getting early access to our interview with Lucy Rushton, DC United's general manager and head of technical recruitment and analysis, we had a great conversation with her, went into went in depth on a couple of things. Um, she was very forthright, I think, and very willing to to discuss her impressions of the team and the organization and uh, the reasons she came and, and what she sees going forward. So if you want early access to that, then become a patron at patreon.com slash filibuster. If you want to follow us on social media, do that on Twitter at Black and Red U for the website at filibuster DCU for the podcast. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Please download, subscribe. Ratings and reviews are, of course, always appreciated. They help people find us, which, you know, we're not doing this show, so no one can listen. So more people listening is good. And to that end, about the nicest thing you can do for us is to tell a friend about the show and uh, just, you know, give a recommendation to someone else. Word of mouth has always been and will always be the best advertising. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. I trust the cicada. I think the cicada is my friend. What if it's a Chicagoland cicada? They don't have them. Did a, did a cicada write this tweet? <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> <laughs>